0: This is e-commerce today, where we talk e-commerce every day. I'm your host, Maxwell Murphy. My goal is to help e-commerce companies become the best place in the world to buy the products they sell. I talk strategy. I talk management. I talk about real processes you can put in place to take your e-commerce business to the next level. I interview people who are running successful e-commerce businesses at every scale. We talk e-commerce software, service, and advertising providers. I help you cut through the BS, hang on to your profits, and thrive in the most competitive marketplace ever invented, the internet. Now let's get started. Hi, everybody. I've got a great episode for you today. This episode is near and dear to my heart because I love sporting goods. I always have. I still remember the way it used to feel when I was a kid walking into a sporting goods shop. Actually, it still pretty much feels the same way for me. And this interview was especially fun for me because the disc golf industry has a lot of similarities to the magic industry where I cut my teeth in e-commerce. Disc golf is at the border of sport and skill toy. Somewhere near juggling and yo-yo and magic tricks. Now, it might be a bit of a stretch, but we used to have a competitor at Penguin Magic. One of our competitors also sold disc golf. So I've always felt like it's just kind of a related space. So I feel right at home talking about this stuff. But even though it's a bit similar, there were some really fun surprises in this interview where I learned things I didn't expect. It's fascinating to me how each industry or niche is so different. That's a big part of what makes this show valuable to me personally. When someone is describing something that works in one industry, I'm thinking about my own industry with new eyes. Would that work in my industry? If not, how could I change the idea so it would work in my industry? I love getting outside of my head a bit and visiting another industry for a few minutes. When I'm listening to these interviews, they're sparking all kinds of ideas I want to try. I love it. Ever wondered if it's okay to use the word industry to describe the field you're working in? I know it feels a bit odd to use the word industry to describe magic tricks or disc golf, but I looked it up on dictionary.com. Dictionary.com says industry is the aggregate of manufacturing or technically productive enterprises in a particular field, often named after its principal product. So it fits. It can be any particular field. None of the seven definitions for the word limited to only huge fields like automotive, steel, etc. I felt a bit strange using the term to describe the magic industry all these years, but that's how we say it. I mean, that's, that's how everybody that's in the magic world talks about it. So now I've looked up industry. I feel better about it. We're not misusing the word. We'll get into the interview in just a moment. But first, this episode of e-commerce today is brought to you by PIP. PIP stands for process in place, and it's the easiest way to manage all the recurring tasks and recurring activities in your business. If there's something that needs to happen daily, weekly, or monthly, put it in PIP. As a manager, you'll see a string of green boxes on your dashboard if it's happening. If it's not happening, you'll see red boxes. It's very simple, but this is such a powerful way to manage your people. You're setting a real expectation and you're following through on it. That's the thing that so many managers struggle with, following through and following through consistently. How do you establish that high standard if you don't have a way to measure it? You're going to be busy doing what you do as an entrepreneur, as a manager. You're busy with what you're focused on. You don't have time to worry about what your employees are supposed to be doing. So put it in PIP. I love it. I use PIP personally. I'm one of the creators of the project. I absolutely love this. It's pip.today. Left on their own, things fizzle out. People lose momentum. People forget. With PIP, your people have the superpower of consistent action. Sign up for your free account at pip.today. That's PIP.today. Our second sponsor is hors d'oeuvre.com. Hors d'oeuvre is the tool we use at Penguin Magic to film order packing videos. That's right, we film a video from the top down of every order being packed. Customers love it. How do I know? Well, at the end of each video, there's a little feedback window, a little comment spot. Every day, we get dozens of positive messages from customers who loved their video. Yesterday, we got 26 of these messages. I have it in my email inbox. I'll read just a few. 1.19 p.m. You guys just made my day. I love this and will definitely buy from you again. 2.38 p.m. Packing videos is the best idea ever. 4.54 p.m. Thank you. I have never gotten such good service. I can tell that I will be ordering most of my decks from you. 5.41 p.m. This is a unique way to confirm orders. I'm a longtime management consultant, and I'm currently the CIO of an American university. I can only commend you on this extraordinary and unique way to create instant trust between provider and customer. Who said that being nice and considerate doesn't work? You've earned my clientele now and for any subsequent order. Congrats and keep it up. Okay, they're not all that good. Okay, I picked that one because it's particularly good. Most of them are like the other ones. That one blew it out of the water. 8.04 p.m. I love you guys. Anyway, this is straight from my inbox and it's only five of the 26 messages we got yesterday. It's amazing. Every single day, the feedback rolls in and the customers love this. I don't understand why the competition doesn't do it, but I hope they don't start because every day we're creating difference. We're providing a service that's fundamentally different and fundamentally better than the competition. I love it. If you want to learn more about it, go to hors d'oeuvre.com. That's O-R-D-E-R-V dot com. O-R-D-E-R-V as in video dot com. Tell them Maxwell sent you and your first month is free. My guest today is Justin Anderson from Community Disc Golf. As the name implies, Community Disc Golf sells discs for the sport of disc golf. Wikipedia says disc golf, often referred to as frisbee golf, frolf, or FALF, is a flying disc game, as well as a precision and accuracy sport in which individual players throw a flying disc at a target. Community Disc Golf is based in North Carolina. They're focused on becoming the very best place to learn about, shop for, and buy discs. I've been excited to connect with Justin to hear more about what they're up to. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks so much for making the time. I want to start by going back to the beginning. How did you get involved in this whole thing?
1: Yeah. Um, so in so in, in the activity, I'll just say um, I got emailed from friends who lived a few states away saying, oh, you know, it's a great excuse to get outside. And, you know, it's like kind of like hiking, but there's sport involved, too. And I kind of have this problem, like maybe it's just the entrepreneurial spirit, but I have trouble getting involved in an activity and then not starting some sort of business related to it. <laughs> so, you know, a couple of years into it, there was a private disc golf course, so at the time, I was living in Boston, and there was a private disc golf course in New Hampshire on sort of an unused farm that a woman lived at, and she really wanted to keep the land. And Anyway, so she she found out that she could have a disc golf course, charge five or six bucks to play, and it covered her taxes, and it, and it wasn't a high impact to the land or anything like that. So she loved that. And um, I ended up working with her and the guy who does her maintenance on upgrading her baskets because just like anything out there there are 100 dollar baskets which are horrible and there are 400 dollar baskets that can you know withstand a hurricane and being outside and they're professional you know park equipment so I worked with her on that and we set up a store that was sort of a self-service thing but it's it grew from there um, we started hosting tournaments and because disc golf i i will i will say disc golf takes itself too seriously sometimes amateurs at tournaments can't get paid in cash so they get store credit to some place that sells discs so we started doing that i started driving around new england with the discs on the weekends going to tournaments to be what they call the payout vendor you know so people could shop with me for their prizes and i would you know i would be
0: given the cash Oh, that's cool. Were you able to make a profit when that happens? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, there would be a discount to the club or tournament director or something like that. So it wouldn't be a whole lot. But then there's still just straight cash sales, you know, and and it's, it's all sort of cloudy as to, you know, when it's a when it's a tournament run on a public course, if they really have the right to tell me I can come and sell. We never got in trouble. But um yeah, and then we started doing the payout for the New England club. There was like about four hundred players for their like year end awards and tournaments and things like that. So within a year we started doing website and I'm on big commerce for that. That sort of happened probably a year ahead of my plans. But
0: this was about two thousand and eleven when you put up the website, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I'd say 2010, like the business started as Community Disc Golf. And then in 2011, right around this time, like September, October, we started with CommunityDiscs.com. And then I, I had to sort of split out the inventory because I couldn't necessarily fulfill orders that were sitting in New Hampshire an hour and a half away from my home. But when I was on the weekend going to a tournament, it was no problem to drive up, grab, you know, grab all the discs, go to a tournament half an hour from there or something, and then bring them back. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it very quickly went from 2000, let's say 2012 was probably 50-50 with online sales and like in-store sales, like at the course. And then anytime after then, the in-person sales of so whether it was someone buying at the course or at a tournament that I was going to, it went from 50-50 down to 15% for the in-person kind of physical sales. And then you know, down to like one percent because I started getting out of going around to tournaments and that sort of thing.
0: Tell me a little bit about how you grew the sales on the website. Was it through word of mouth and through your connections at these tournaments yeah. and events, or were there other uh, it, ways too?
1: The way it started, and I mean, it's very different from all the startup stories I've heard about people selling online. It was really these these payouts, so that. You know, someone would win five, 10, 50, $150 in tournament winnings, and they could either spend it in person or they could go to the website. And everyone's given a coupon code on tournament day uh, when they have winnings. It's like, you know, and it's just a handwritten thing like you've got 50 bucks, and here's, you know, a 10 digit crazy number that you can go spend online. So I had a lot of people purchasing that way. Disc golf is still a growing activity. So I would say, in mid-2012, there was a newer disc golf company. Um, their their name is MVP, you know, like Most Valuable Player. And they they were very popular. They had some putters and some mid-rangers discs. And um, it's the driver disc that people really want because that's what's going to go far. When they were releasing a driver, it was hugely popular. And I set up a pre-order for it, which I had not seen in disc golf before. I'm, I'm not saying I'm the only one who, you know, no one had done it. But I started doing that and it gained me huge notoriety. And I went from having, you know, I went from having maybe one to three sales every, you know, every day, but even having, you know, no sales on some days to then going to more like, you know, 150 orders a month and, you know, not having any days with no sales. Wow. By doing that free order. So that really launched me and I was known as the place to go for that newer company because some of the bigger players in my market who they would have, say, 20,000 or 40,000 discs in stock, which sounds crazy, but that's sort of – we'll get into why that why stores have that many discs. I could then compete with with those guys because I had – a better selection of these few models by this new company than the big guys did.
0: Wow. I love that strategy, and that, that story about the pre-order. How did you get the opportunity to do the pre-order? Was it just something that because you came up with the idea to do a pre-order and no one was doing it in the market? Yeah. Anybody could have done it, but you just had the idea and jumped on it.
1: Right. Right. And And again, I'm not certain that I was first to do it in that market. But I did start noticing other competitors were doing pre orders for that disc a couple weeks later. You know, I didn't talk to the man. The only thing I had said to the manufacturer is, you know, is there a limit? You know, when this comes out, because every so often with these discs, they might say, oh, we're only making one, two, five thousand of these things. Or, you know, each each retailer is only going to be able to get 50 of something if it's a limited edition, which this wasn't. So I did a pre-order for that. There was another company. I think everybody knows the name Vibram. They do the yeah, sole shoes yeah. and, and the five fingers. They also do disc golf discs. And they're they're probably the only company anyone outside of disc golf would ever recognize the name of. And they make in my opinion the best product out there for this sport they you know they also then came out with a similarly hyped disc that was you know became the furthest flying thing on the market for at least 6 months or a year You know, I started doing a pre-order for that, and I really got known as the place that does the pre-order and the guy who's got a lot of stock of some of these smaller companies who
0: haven't been in disc golf that long. When the pre-order happened, tell Mm -hmm. me about how did that spread throughout the community? How did people find out Uh, about it? Yeah, So, so
1: luckily in disc golf... The biggest site out there, there's a site called DG Course Review, which I guess I guess you could kind of consider a Yelp for disc golf courses. That is the most trafficked website in disc golf. It's also finding courses, but there's a huge forum, their message board system there. And that is just where... I would say 90 plus percent of disc golf discussion happens. It's been a little fragmented over the years because now there's Instagram and Twitter and a whole bunch of other and Facebook has, you know, obviously taken off. But historically, that website, that's where everybody talks about things. And that's where, you know, that's where your customers go when they have a bad experience. And that's where, you know, one customer goes when, you know, out of 100 people who have a great experience, you know, one of them will post there. But every single person who, you know, you do wrong to, they're going to post on that (laughs) website. So luckily, people were very happy to sing my praises. And I also, I was doing a handwritten thank you note in, in every order, just a quick thing on the back of a business card, just like, hey, you know, thanks for trying my site. Like, you know, I hope you like this disc or, you know, give them a quick recommendation, you know.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Or something personal. Like, I would say it doesn't take a lot. And, I, and I've definitely talked with a lot of other, whether it's physical retailers or e-commerce retailers out there who have done personal notes. It doesn't take a lot and really just clicking on someone's order history each time you're packing an order and just looking at what they bought and saying like, oh, hey, it's nice you tried, you know, this new company for the first time, you know, when somebody's ordered six or seven times, it goes a long way.
0: Absolutely, I love it. I love it that you said that. I think that many people underestimate the impact that even a small thank you note can have on the way a customer feels connected to a company.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And really just it it makes them say they're like, wow, I'm glad I'm buying from a person and not some faceless warehouse, which I would argue a lot of the quote unquote, the big players in the disc golf retail world. They're not they're not really that big, but, you know, a website can make you look huge.
0: Tell me a little bit about the dynamics in the market. Like how did you get access to these hot new products? It sounds like a lot of your growth has been driven by these really exciting products that are coming out.
1: Well, so get, I mean, getting access to them, it's, um, so I guess I'll, I'll take that to being just getting
0: started in retailing for disc golf. Also in just in terms of like, how did you even know that that was a product that was going to make sense to pre-order that there was going to be that kind of excitement about it?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, I guess because I could see what's happening online and just getting customers sending me messages saying, hey, are you going to have this new item? Because unfortunately, and it might not be exclusive to my industry, but the customers know about new products weeks and months before I ever hear about them, which frustrates me. And I definitely remind my manufacturers around the start of every year of like, hey, you know, it's it's really not good when we can't be information points for, you know, for your products. But, yeah, and with the pre-orders, it's really just, you know, it doesn't cost anything to do a pre-order. You know, it's it's just sort of putting a product up there, tagging pre-order at the end, making sure I've got a header on each product that explains the pre-order process and adding some custom fields, free text fields on the product where someone can punch in what color or weight they want their disk in, which can get hairy because there's umpteen million colors and there's at least 25 grams of variation of each disc, which is highly important
0: to every customer.
1: So doing the pre-orders, it's sort of a no-brainer. I'm not doing as many as I used to.
0: Have other folks started to copy?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say almost all of my competition, they do pre-orders every time now. There are a couple that have been around for 10 plus years who are the giants in the space who don't do pre-orders. And I can understand why they might not want to, you know, because it is, you know, the box comes in. Now I've got to match up people's preferences or do what, unfortunately, some of my competition does, which is just pull out any item and throw it in a bag. Because think of these things as like shirts that come in different sizes and colors. I don't know why anyone would pre-order a a disc golf disc not knowing what weight or what color they're going to end up with. And for me, I've done a very good job of making sure people give me a few colors and a weight range so that I can find something that fits into that, you know, rather than just ship them any old thing that comes out of the box.
0: When you're ordering from the manufacturer, is there mystery around what you're going to receive? Oh, absolutely. Why is that? So let me, so let me,
1: Before I answer that, just um, because people aren't familiar with disc golf, like this makes no sense at all. So when you're throwing these discs, basically lighter discs will go further, but also they're going to be affected by the wind more. A heavier disc is going to drop out of the sky faster, which is great for a putter that you don't want to fly far but a heavier disc also isn't going to be affected by the wind. Everybody has their favorite weights for these different types of discs. So as a retailer, the, the retailers who rise to the top in this industry are the ones who list the exact grams that you're buying at. So you know, I'm, I'm listing separate SKUs for a disc that is 171 grams in hot pink versus one that's 172 grams in hot pink. Those are separate SKUs. It's a little bit of a nightmare to manage, but that one gram of weight even though obviously a scale can be flawed, that one gram can be massive in a customer. Um, If they don't see that exact weight they want or the color, they'll just pop over to your competition who is also doing free shipping. You know, you'll lose them in a second. So when I'm ordering these items, I don't have any control on color. And for weight ranges, it depends on the companies. Like Vibram, I can order in two to three gram weight ranges. And then some other companies, it's like a 10 gram weight range. The wider the weight range, sort of the more I need to order and just hope I'm going to get what I need. And the manufacturers are not real strict as to saying, hey, this disc is available in the 160 to 169 gram range. It doesn't mean that they're making all of those weights. They may only be making 167 to 169. And I have no idea until I order and have those show up. And they may all be the same color too. They may be no variation.
0: Why is it that you can't pick the color, at least? It's not offered. How does the manufacturer have that much power that they don't have? Like like you
1: as the there retailer. Is, there is, yeah, I hear you. There, there is no retailer organization, which if I had all the time in the world, if I had all the time in the world and this was a highly profitable business, I would be spearheading the
0: retail organization. There's also no manufacturer organization. No, I agree with you. And But I just don't understand, even from the market perspective, yeah. is it that there aren't Enough competing manufacturers. It could be. Um, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure. But
1: yeah, I mean, basically, when I'm ordering, you know, there each each product only has a few SKUs, right? And it's and it's the three or four weight ranges that those are available in, and color has nothing to do with it. The manufacturers are fully aware that at the retail level, customers care about colors, but I think it's just that the manufacturers change colors so frequently, and there are only. Oh, Couple, like, so I I carry, I I think I carry 10 different manufacturer's discs, and I would say only two or maybe three. No, I'm going to say two of those actually have set colors that I could actually ask them, hey, what, you know, what are your production colors? And they could actually tell me. Other companies, the colors vary and they bleed into each other. So I run into difficulty listing these things because I can hold, you know, three discs in front of me and one is neon purple, another one's raspberry, and the others magenta. And they're all very, very close.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, But I'm, try-
1: I'm trying to be descriptive. I'm trying to do as good a job short of putting an individual photo of every single disc online, which is possible, but a pain
0: in the neck. <laughs> Wow. This is hilarious. Now, I guess from the manufacturing side, it makes sense that they don't want to be stuck with yeah. a lot of colors. I mean, because manufacturers, then they have to get into matching the colors when they're doing new batches. Yeah. And more and more bins in the warehouse, obviously. I'm getting the sense that the manufacturers have a lot of power in this industry yeah. relative to the retailers. Was it hard to convince them to let you become a retailer? I mean, is that, is that the hard part, getting in to be no. one of their authorized retailers? Actually. And I, and I was going to touch on
1: that earlier. I'm glad you came back to it. The number one manufacturer out there, their name's Innova, like um, similar to like Innovation. They're definitely the, the leader and they don't they don't want to approve anyone new who's just on online. They want you to have a physical location. I had that physical location through the course shop in New Hampshire, which now I don't really have so much since I've gone to North Carolina. They're fine to keep selling to me because they sell a good amount through me. And they're happy to keep me on. But if I were starting today, if someone's starting today, they cannot get Innova at all. That is less of an issue now than when I started because of the number of companies that have joined, the number of manufacturers that have joined, and how much each has grown. I would say in 2011, if I could not get Innova and I was starting a web store, I shouldn't even bother because everybody's throwing that company's discs, at least a few are in the players' bags. Nowadays, it's fragmented enough that I think I think people can start, and I see people doing it. That you know that they're starting a web store and they don't have that manufacturer. All the other manufacturers, you can you can get a reseller license, no problem. Um, As long as as you buy the people, yeah. And and um, there's a lot of business that's done through tournament directors. So people just running any old disc golf event, you know, whether they're running an event for ten players or six hundred players they can buy it wholesale, which, you know, which, which drives me nuts when they're not buying a tournament stamped disc that says, you know, like bite breast cancer, 2016. And, you know, they put a logo on it when those are sold at wholesale, obviously like that's great. And the, the club or the charity can sell that at retail. But yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan that when you're running an event, you can then just buy as many discs as you like wholesale and just give them out to your friends. Or sell them on eBay.
0: Do you do any manufacturing of discs yourself? I don't. What keeps you from getting into the manufacturing side? I think that is fairly flooded at this point. I could be wrong. But as a retailer, you have power to communicate directly to your customers. Right. So I've seen this model in a lot of other industries. We started with Penguin Magic with this, where we started out carrying a lot of different manufacturers' items Mm -hmm. as we built our audience. Then we started manufacturing our own items, which we added to the mix. Higher profit, more control.
1: Sure. Right. And, and it is and it is a great model. And there's a company in Kansas City named Dynamic Discs. And they and they did that. And they and they partnered with a with a manufacturer in Sweden who already had two two lines of discs or two two brands that they were manufacturing. And it's gone extremely well. And it went so well that that retailer became the sole distribution point for all three of those brands being manufactured in Sweden. So which was great for that company in Sweden, rather than shipping to five or six distributors in the United States. Now it all goes to Kansas City. So I've seen it work. And I've definitely thought about that. But I get. I guess for me, it's just it's startup cost. It's partnering with an with an OEM. And I just I'm just not sure how much of a cost that is. And I'm assuming that either I or someone I'm someone I'm working with is going to have to be well versed in CAD design and some aerodynamics. I see. I, I haven't I haven't completely ruled it out. It, I, it does pop around in my head.
0: But how are they
1: manufactured? It, is it injection molded? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's plastic molds, it's injection molding, unless unless you're talking about Vibram, because Vibram does a rubber-based compound, and it's compression molded. So basically, they're taking blocks of their rubber mixture, putting it on a press, and just pressing and, I guess, steaming that thing to death for a few seconds in that <laughs> disc.
0: How does that result in different characteristics for the Vibram discs? Can you feel the difference?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, so so when you talk about durability with these discs, plastic, as you can imagine, well, just from our recycling, right? Like you get all those different plastic numbers, plastic can be soft and kind of soft and flexible, or it can be very, very hard and rigid. The softer the plastic, the better the grip you have on it, you know, just like a tire on the road or maybe a mountain bike handle, but it's gonna be less durable. The harder the plastic, it's gonna be more slippery. If it's wet from dew on the grass or you're just playing in the rain, it's going to be horrible because it's going to fly out of your hand, you know, at the wrong time, but it's going to be more durable. So as you play disc golf, you're going to hit a lot of trees because the trees are, well, I guess similar to golf, regular golf. The trees are the obstacles in this and you're going to hit trees constantly with these discs. The cheap plastic, the soft plastic, that's not going to last very long, whereas hard plastic is going to last a lot longer and be more expensive with the vibram rubber it's the opposite the softer their rubber compound the more durable it is so with the vibram discs you can get a disc that feels like a nice soft grippy plastic that you love but you know if you hit a tree 3 times the disc is going to be junk and with the Vibram, you get that same feeling, but it's gonna it's gonna last for years. I see. I love what Vibram does, so I can very easily turn into a commercial for them. <laughs> <laughs> that, which I'm trying to avoid doing.
0: When you think about manufacturing the discs, yeah. is part of your hesitation that you think it would be a major challenge to produce a world class disc? Like you could easily yeah. produce a junkie disc, but to get one that people really are going to love, is that where the difficulty comes in?
1: I'll, I'll I'll say yes to that, and time is the other is the other obstacle. Just to even think, okay, how do I even start down that road? I can't, ima- I can't imagine having the extra, you know, six hours in a day to start down that road. But honestly, from this conversation, now I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> call a couple of manufacturers and just ask what my options are.
0: Oh, great! Now you're gonna have Vibra mad at me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in my experience, in in a lot of private labeling stuff, a lot of times you can yeah. lean on the manufacturers, and if if they're just private labeling it for you, yeah. it may significantly cut down your your need to spend on your own design work. I mean, they.
1: Oh, sure. Well, I will say, any of the companies who are doing that. So they're not they're not necessarily retailers who have gone that direction, but you know, a disc from a company such as a company named Millennium, but you look on the bottom and it says, you know, manufactured by Innova. Any of those companies, they you never get stuff that's that's white labeled like that. It's always it's always unique unique molds to each manufacturer. I'm not sure if any of those original manufacturers would ever just say, oh no, we'd be happy to put your model name on this other disc, yeah. but it's never happened.
0: That makes perfect sense. I wonder if you do your own mold. I wonder if that's an option with any of these factories where you pay for your own tooling, yeah. but then they'll just use the their injection molding machine. Yeah, I don't know if that would even be worth it. That's the first place that I would start is to find someone who's already making world-class discs so you can right. benefit from all that expertise instead of trying to teach some factory in China how to make a great disc.
1: Oh, sure. Right. And in these cases, most of these companies are old enough now that you know they have years and years of experience um, because I think in the beginning, let's say like the early 2000s, it was still companies that started as disc golfers who were learning manufacturing versus companies like vibram or that mvp company which they started as manufacturers and then started doing disc golf equipment and it shows it definitely shows in the consistency of the product because these things you know they they sell for 15 bucks they're not you know they're not high-end items but players will search high and low for certain production runs of discs because the dome on the top might be flatter or domier within the same model based on when it was made which is horrible inconsistency that some companies have with that but the companies like an MVP or a Vibram they have less of that inconsistency
0: where are these made are they made in the US or overseas
1: Mo- most in the US um i'd say of the 10 manufacturers i have there you know three of them who are all made in the same place they are made in in sweden there's a finnish company that i carry called Discmania. they're they're made in the US even but most most are in the US like in South Carolina, California and Michigan, Vibram Massachusetts. So yeah, yeah, all over. But but it's also I don't have a statistic on it, but I'm pretty sure ninety five percent of disc golf players live in the United States. Really? Or US and Canada. I yeah, saw on
0: Wikipedia it says that the game is played in forty countries. Oh, sure. But it's mostly US. Oh yeah, absolutely if
1: yeah yeah if anybody went to say dgcoursereview.com and clicked on map and it and it's it uses google maps and there's little orange disc golf baskets all over the place it's far denser in the united states um there are certain hot pockets like scandinavia like finland there are 360 courses or something like that in finland which is amazing for how much you know obvious snow they get <laughs> but the game is really really big there versus the united states that We have 4,000 plus courses, I want to say, maybe 3,000.
0: I read in Wikipedia also that between 2000 and 2008, the sport experienced tremendous growth. Yeah. How's the sport growing now? Is it still growing just as fast or has it slowed down? What's your perception?
1: It's hard to say. Usually the number that people use is the PDGA, which is the Professional Disc Golf Association. Yes, that's real. They claim membership growth of 10 to 15% each year since I want to say since 2001, I think that's a decent way of of judging. But, you know, obviously, like, you know, I like to play disc golf all the time. I'm not a tournament player, so I have no business, you know, being in the professional organization and getting a rating number and all of these things. But unfortunately, in the retail space, because we don't have a retailer organization, we have no numbers as to what sales look like. Um, the manufacturers have an idea. I Think the manufacturers might talk a bit, but generally speaking, they don't want to share hard numbers with each other. So it's very fragmented, and no one really knows how many discs are being sold every year or how many customers are out there. I can say that in my five years of selling online, I have over over four thousand customers, unique customers from my website. I still feel like a smaller player in the market, but I don't know if that four thousand. I don't know if I should be seeing twelve thousand, twenty thousand, or if, you know, I top out at eight.
0: <laughs> One thing that I that I've done is visit a lot of different manufacturers in my industry and, and also a lot of different shops yeah. to try to get a better sense for the scale and, and what other people are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've been trying to do that and I visited the Kansas City company back in May and I'm trying to get into um Innova, who's in South Carolina, I'll visit them soon. But
0: yeah. Nobody really, everybody's very secretive. So it's, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of just visiting because it's, yep. it's amazing. Like you don't know what you're going to learn when you show up, right? There's right. a thing like, we don't know what we don't know. And I've had the experience, whenever I visited a distributor or a manufacturer in my industry, I've yeah. always been pleasantly surprised because you pick up a little something or a little extra perspective. Right. One, one thing I wanted to jump back to real quickly, sure. you mentioned that you carry somewhere around 10,000 discs, I think. in stock. And you mentioned that other companies carry thousands and thousands of discs. Explain a little bit more about like the inventory requirements and, and why it's like that. Sure. So
1: there's no other than, you know, one or two companies wanting you to have a physical location. There's almost never a requirement to carry the full line of products or anything like that. I can only think of one exception, but it's that these companies, they're coming out with Four to six new SKUs every month. Most of them, I'll I'll say, I'll say of the ten I carry, I'd say five of them every single month. Releasing a minimum of three new discs and probably some T-shirts and wristbands or whatever else. Plastic type is another factor in this. Like um, when I mentioned the soft plastic versus the hard plastic, you know, just because you release a new mold that goes super far and goes to the right you can then release that in four or five other plastics and it's a new SKU every time. And I need to buy, you know, I would say absolute minimum eight of those to have even a poor selection. You know, I might buy 25 or 50 or a hundred if it's a hot disc. So because of that, we have what I call SKU sprawl in that in order to appear to the customer that I have a decent selection, I need to be buying that every month. I may have a disc that the manufacturer swears is going to be the hottest thing ever and they buy a whole bunch of those. I might not sell any that month. I might not sell sell more than two or three of them for a couple months. Generally speaking, these discs never come offline. They never hit end of life or get decommissioned
0: by the manufacturer. Will they make more of that model later, potentially? Oh, yeah.
1: They're not always manufacturing every single disc. You know, it's like yeah. one month they're going to make these six and then the next month they're going to make more of this other one
0: but they don't discontinue items very often. Yes, that's the word I couldn't find,
1: discontinue. Thank you.
0: Why is it, <laughs> uh, why is it that they don't discontinue items?
1: I'm not sure, and when I've been talking to them, I what I, what I feel like I'm gathering from the the companies who aren't discontinuing. The ones who are, they're they're saying, you know, we need to sell a certain number of these. We can't justify the storage space in the warehouse, which is what I want to hear. You know, and it works the same way for me. And once a disc does get discontinued, It will sell fairly quickly because customers are always trying to hoard limited and rare discs or something they think is going to be worth, you know, $5 more in a year. But basically, I think think it's that these manufacturers are all competing for shelf space on the retail side and whether that's physical space or yet another slot on my website. And if they just have 20 or 25 of a disc all piled up in their warehouse and that's all they have. But they're making every single reseller out there feel that they need to stock that item in order to have a complete
0: selection for the customer. I just think that's sort of the manufacturer's mentality. I see so from their point of view, why would we discontinue it? We already made the mold, let's keep it on everybody's yeah. shelf or let's keep it on everybody's website, and if we need to make more when we run out, that's great. yeah, interesting. I want to jump into marketing real quick. What are your most effective marketing channels today? um through that site that I mentioned earlier, DGcourseReview.com. And then doing Facebook ads. Cool. I saw on Facebook you're running a contest right now. That looked fun.
1: I am. Um, yeah, I just started those back in June and they've gone better than I expected them to. I was always very afraid of just giving away inventory for free. <laughs> but um, you know, people come out of the woodwork for free. So I just I tried to make it as simple as possible and not make people spam their friends or anything like that. So I just have people like my page and then comment on the contest thread. You know, it obviously does huge things for my engagement numbers that we're all supposed to care about so deeply. But yeah, and and it's gone from having, I think my first week, I had maybe 40 or 50 comments or something like that. And then I'm getting over 300 now. I've seen my competitors that they'll get over a a thousand entrants into similar contests. But Uh yeah, I mean, I can even give away a disc that I've got 15 of that I haven't sold any. Of that model in a couple months, when people are thrilled to enter and people are thrilled to win.
0: Cool. So Facebook is a part, and then that Yelp of of disc golf is another yeah. piece of the puzzle. What are the other big drivers? Uh, do you do anything with Google AdWords or Amazon?
1: Um, I don't do any AdWords. I tried that a couple years ago. I just never got back into it. And when I started doing Facebook ads earlier this year, I just found them much more effective, and especially doing ads within the news feed. Those are far, far more effective than any of the other placements that they have. But yeah, I mean I do email marketing with MailChimp, which works well. Yeah, but it's basically just just those channels and word of mouth.
0: Cool. And are you still doing the thing where you were doing before at the competitions where people will earn a store credit or win a store credit for your store?
1: Here and there, but not nearly as not nearly as much. Like maybe three times a year versus thirteen to fifteen times a year. And I'm not, I'm not dragging all of my products to
0: these tournaments like I used to. Is that just because it's too much of a pain? Yeah. It's just easier to sell through the website?
1: It, it's too much of a pain, but I was also finding that as time went on, I was doing straight sales. I was having fewer and fewer of those in person. And I don't know if it's because players were taking for granted that I was going to show up and they could buy in person rather than order online from some mystery place. Or if it's just that, There's that much more competition online, but I just wasn't selling as much in person. It was turning into what I would get in the lump sum from the tournament director, and then people would spend their coupons in person and online, but I wasn't really selling anything in person. So I wasn't hitting the minimum dollar value that I wanted to show up for the day.
0: I see. Are tournaments a big part of the market, or is it mostly people just going out and playing on their own for fun?
1: There is a large contingency that plays in the tournaments. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the percentage is. I'm sure the tournament players are a smaller percentage. It's the players on the amateur side. They buy more discs than people who play at the pro level and play for cash. And I'll just say that pro level players are not necessarily people who are making a living off the sport. There are a handful of people doing that. But yeah, I mean, people are competing. They're playing in leagues a lot. They're playing in, you know, weekly leagues on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whatever, where they pay five or 10 bucks in, you know, into a pot and whoever wins might win 50 bucks and the rest of the money goes to course maintenance. But yeah, I mean, partnering with clubs and tournaments is definitely a big marketing channel for a lot of for me and a lot of competitors. I don't do as much of it as I should.
0: It just seems like a really cool opportunity. I've never heard of that before where there's this opportunity where people can get store credit instead of prize winnings. It sounded really cool. Yeah. What about sponsorships? Do people also sponsor these tournaments? Oh,
1: sure. Yeah, and it's because it's still a newer sport, there aren't very many big big headlining events where you get big sponsors. Some breweries like Woodchuck and like Keen shoes um I'm trying to think of some other companies that have been known to sponsor tournaments, but usually it's just, you know, within the disc golf community, it's somebody who makes disc golf t shirts or, you know, some little company that is just one guy with an injection molded disc who just has that one thing to sell, you know, or other bigger disc golf companies sponsor the tournaments. As a reseller, it's hard for me to justify giving a lot of money to tournaments, either giving cash or something that isn't going to turn into sales. You know, just doing like a whole sponsorship, similar to golf, sponsoring a whole, just having a little sign on the tee that has my logo. That doesn't really get people, that doesn't drive traffic to a website. If I had a local business, you know, across the street from the course, that could do better. They usually get, you know, the pizza parlor kind of ads for those things. But yeah, I mean, trying to drive people from actually playing a tournament or playing at a course to then go to a website is a difficult leap. Yeah. Even though people can obviously do it right from their smartphones now, that's that's a help.
0: Yeah. But
1: yeah, I mean marketing through these clubs is a good opportunity especially because most of these disc golf courses that are out there were paid for by clubs. So it's not the parks department or a landowner necessarily who said I'm going to go spend, you know, so many thousands of dollars buying baskets, putting in cement or rubber tee pads and doing maintenance. It's the local club local players who are raising the money for the equipment, installing it, maintaining it. In some cases, they're you know paying for the insurance policy on the land, which is great. And it's amazing to see that kind of community effort out there. But I think at the same time, I think there are a lot of players who pitch a course to a town and they just assume they're going to have to raise the money and they present it as, oh, we'll raise the money, you know, rather than waiting for the town to push back.
0: I've got one final question Try- for you. What do you think your customers want to see more of from you? Oof.
1: That, is, that, is a, that is a hard one. Um, I'm not sure. I sort of have this direction of personal service that I've been going through. I think a lot of customers would really like to see something like an individual photo of every single disk. I do that for some disks, some unique disks, but just the added time, I just can't justify with the margins. But yeah, I, I guess I would say more and more of a personal touch because that's the, cu- the customer I have is the person who
0: wants that human touch. And I assume if they want more of anything, they want more of that. Well, Justin, I've loved having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. I hope we can get you back for a follow-up later. I could talk to you all sure. day about this stuff. Yeah. A really fascinating space. Thanks so much. Justin Anderson from Community Discs. All right. Thanks, Max. That's it for this episode of e-commerce Today. Thanks to Justin for being an awesome guest. Thanks to our sponsors, pip.today and hors d'oeuvre.com. Thanks to you for listening and joining me on this journey. I'll be back soon with another episode.